Joining us now in our studios is Scott Wapita, who is the director of uh, executive director of the Northfield Community Action Center. Yeah. Scott, good morning. Thank you so much for coming in today. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. Boy, you have had a uh, busy 2022 so far. Not that you're not busy all the time, but uh, some big projects going on. Yeah, we have a lot going on at CAC, and it, it's definitely a busy time. Um, you know, it's just exciting to have so many things going on and at the same time. Yeah, like just like everybody experiences the chaos, sometimes it's challenging to slow it down once it gets moving. I want to talk about uh, one of the big, the big, uh, probably the most visible project that people are seeing right now. That's the Hillcrest uh, project that has been going on for uh, uh, a few years now. <laughs> and the product didn't just magically pop up overnight, but the construction is very visible at this point. Uh, getting, I don't say done with it yet. There's still some work to be done on it. But uh, boy, that's a that's a long journey. Yeah, that's been a really long journey. I mean, you could almost attribute that up to four, five, six, seven years from original idea ideas um, to where it is now. But for anybody who drives by that uh, location up just north of Dairy Queen, it's incredible to see just the tangible progress. Um, we actually had an open house last week on Tuesday, so a week ago, uh, that we just stopped construction for three hours and people could come in and kind of touch and see the buildings, uh, see the different phases from we have one building that's almost complete all the way down to um, buildings that are just framed to ones just past foundation. And so people could kind of see the different progress. Let's talk about the CAC's roles in, in this. Uh, for a an organization of your type, a nonprofit community action center, mm-hmm. uh, is is that uncommon to, uh, I guess, uh, lead a construction project, a housing project of this size and of this nature? Certainly new for CAC. Um, we've had, we own one other property or had previously and done something on a much smaller scale. Um, there are nonprofits that do this type of work. It's very different. This is very much a Northfield project done from the way CAC operates in Northfield. And it's something that's really exciting that I don't think could be done. It can't be replicated. And a lot of people want to see it replicated. And I think certainly there's variations of it that could happen elsewhere. But this is really a convergence of our community's desire around environmental design, um, the desperate need for housing, and just CAC's, I think, backbone of being around for 50 plus years um, is a true convergence of a lot of opportunities that I think Hillcrest just provided a way to um, make a tangible expression of all those things um, in a way that we could celebrate as a community. Let's talk about the environmental, uh, environmentally conscious uh, nature of uh, this uh, building. Tell us, uh, you know, what uh, what about it is, uh, I guess, environmentally friendly. Yeah, well, some of the aspects. Yeah, well, I mean, the end. I mean, to start with the end conclusion, a um, hundred. So there's no gas. There's no gas on the entire site. It's just it's all electric energy. And then for all 17 rental units, which is spread across six homes. A hundred percent of the energy they use to heat, to run the electric, to cool, run air conditioning, everything is powered by the on-site solar. And so there is no energy that um, is produced off-site. I mean, we have the ability to produce off-site, and there'll certainly be a balance of that. But at the end of the day, the model is set up to power everything on-site with on-site solar. Um, that's a pretty incredible outcome to essentially have an internal loop of everything being renewable energy. Um, the way that's done is through a lot of design um, and intentionality. The wall 
walls are really thick. So for people who are out there, they got to see there's essentially two walls on the exterior of the home. Um, the way the installation is done has been hyper-reviewed, hyper-engineered to make sure it's done right. Um, and there's a lot of just different specifications that the builders out there have had a chance to now experience in terms of how you build a really environmentally designed home that uses very little energy. And the fact that it uses so little energy is why we can produce everything on site with solar. Let's talk about the builders. <clears throat> Pardon me, you mentioned them. Uh, you've got some local builder, builders that uh, are, uh, you know, it's a local project and you got local builders working on it. Yeah, and I hope, I mean, again, to the point of how this project came to be, um, there are ways to do this that engage um, like some multinational company that produces wall panels and have them shipped in and shipped in and tilted up and installed. Our priority, though, is about systems change, which um, for our local community and ecosystem, that means we want builders who have a chance to have experience building these types of buildings. Um, and so we even doubled down on not just having it built locally, but actually having multiple builders involved in the process. And so um, Steve Schmidt and Schmidt Homes spent a lot of time in the design phase and is now building two of the buildings. Um, he's volunteered thousands of hours to get this thing to a reality. Um, Northfield Construction Company has stepped in to take the lead on the entire site development and is also building three buildings. And then Johnson Ryland came in to help um, build one the last building, our sixth building. So they're building one. And just to have three local... Um, builders all operating together, learning together, problem solving together, and being supported on how you build environmentally. Because it's one thing to talk about in theory. It's another thing for their crew to have their hands on it and problem solve all the specifications. And then to have resources from CAC and engineers to kind of problem solve when they come up. Um, we, at the end of this project, will have three builders who know how to do this very tangibly and can point to Hillcrest as they have done it and now know how to do it again. Let's talk about the, I guess, the, uh, you know, wider um, community around either state of Minnesota or nationally. Is this, are you getting some attention from a lot of different areas? Are people watching to see what works and what doesn't work with uh, this project? Yeah. I mean, you asked about if there's CACs like this that do this. Um, so <laughs> a really interesting space we ended up in it was um, presenting at a, AIA, which is the American Institute of Architects uh, conference about this project. And again, for a local, rural, nonprofit social services agency is not your typical venue to talk about um, your work and services. And so we've gotten some attention. The U of M has done some really great spotlights on the project. The um, AIA, the American Institute of Architects, has looked at this and kind of put out some publications about it. WCCO did a radio interview about it and has kind of highlighted it. And our thought is, especially as this ramps up, there's some environmental organizations really interested in seeing this come together. And from our from our look, I mean, this is a this is likely to be a passive house certified design, um, which is in the environmental world the highest design standard you can build to. Um, and we haven't found anything comparable that offers emergency shelter and a passive house designed infrastructure. Um, and so from our perspective, I mean, this is a national leading build project. And again, championed from a local nonprofit. And that's, I think, the exciting connection is it's not just brought in from the outside. It's actually championed locally. Scott Wappen is with us, the executive director of uh, the Northfield Community Action Center. Um, boy, that, uh, that that whole project, I find just uh, just as an amazing thing. You mentioned it t it's taken five, six, seven years since the uh, original concept to, to see it being built. So it's close to the end of the road here now, as uh, you can see the uh, buildings and, uh, as you mentioned, uh, already giving tours um what about future projects is this uh are you is it going to be one and done you mentioned the uniqueness of this project but are there elements that you might want to try something uh another in another area of town 
Yeah, I think there's two different things. So one is on the construction side. Um, what does CAC take away from what it means to champion certain building perspectives? You know, we don't have any building projects on our near horizon, but I think we're very open to uh, opportunities that lay in front of us. And I think some of our expansion will provide opportunities to think about building differently. I think the other side of this, though, outside of just the building front, is kind of the community leadership side and even economic development. CAC has a unique ability now with, I mean, a $5 million housing project under our belt um, in the coming months to think differently about how we can also support different types of development around the community. And we're just really interested in, um, I think, the the conversation growing to realizing we want a really healthy, thriving Northfield, and CAC probably has a part to play in that. And so we want to step up to that plate, be responsible for what we can do, especially in terms of champion, uh, championing more equitable outcomes for different members of our community. And I think CAC will continue to explore what that role is. And we have great partners um, in the city uh, with city leadership, uh, local um, commercial leaders, businesses, and everybody's been engaged with Hillcrest in a different way and I think opened the door for CAC to have a uh, seat at that table about what a healthy community looks like in the future for Northfield. All right. I guess last question on the Hillcrest uh, community would be, uh, when do people start moving in? Yeah, so to give you both the complicated answer and my classic long-winded answer. Um, so <laughs> we, I mean, we're getting really close to those first units being done. Um, there'll be some landscaping and, you know, rental licenses and approvals done from the city oversight. But we may be as early as August um, looking at initial tenants moving in. Uh, and that'll be a phased-in process all the way probably through October, November, as buildings wrap up and get completed. Um, the really fun mission-centered side of that is that, um, again, Hillcrest is unique. And so we didn't look at just hiring a property manager who would run a typical tenant process. And instead, uh, we at CAC have identified a lot of um, leaders uh, amongst our community of people we serve. And so we had some uh, participants in CAC's housing programs actually write the process of what it means to become a tenant at Hillcrest. Again, turning power over to the people who are going to use it. And so we're just finalizing that application process now. But um, essentially, it's been written by the people who would use it. And I, that's a very big priority for CAC is that the people impacted by these decisions should be involved in writing these decisions. And so um, it's taken a little longer, and we'll be rolling out an application process probably before the end of June um, and start those that application process that will review um, people who want to apply to live out there and hopefully as we phase in uh, to completed buildings uh, rent up throughout the end of the 2022 year. All right. Let's get Scott Wapita is with us from the uh, CAC. Let's move on. If that was the only thing that would be a, that you had to do, that would be probably plenty enough, but you got a lot more things going on with the uh, CAC. I want to talk about another expansion, and that's uh, you're offering services now, food shelf services uh, for Faribault. Tell us how that came about. Yeah, well, again, that's a... That's a story that happened on top of what everybody else in our communities experienced with uh, the challenges during COVID. Um, you know, we were ramping up our fundraising and build around Hillcrest. And at the same time, um, as, as we saw in Northfield, the rise of three to four times the amount of families needing support from um, CAC services, especially in our food shelf. Um, we saw that in Northfield. And what we learned from so many of the partners we work with every day is that um, they're just wasn't the ability to ramp up for some of the services that were in Faribault. And one of the food shelves, there was two food shelves in Faribault initially. Um, one of them shut down um, in the early stages of COVID just because it is such a burden to try to navigate um, what it means to run a food shelf during that period. Uh, and so about 14 different Faribault community partners uh, came together from Alina to the school district to Three Rivers to HCI and Growing Up Healthy. Um, 
there's so many more I can't even <laughs> listen to them all. But essentially there was a conversation saying what could we do in light of the fact that we all work together throughout the county. CAC was primarily focused on Northfield, but there was an invitation um, to essentially respond to the glaring needs, um, especially early in the pandemic. And CAC was really the only one left at the table who had real professional experience leading food work at that scale. And so we initially just administratively supported some um, grassroots efforts, and those grassroots efforts just kept growing until we were asked to establish um, a brick-and-mortar food shelf. And so in November of 2021, we cut the ribbon on a brand-new, glorious food shelf um, in Faribault. Uh, it's actually we built both a food shelf and a resource center. And so the reality is uh, Faribault leaders have identified that there's a lot of need just to centralize a lot of these services for families in the community. And so our hope is just to continue to provide the space and oversight for Faribault leadership to grow um, what essentially is a really supportive organization in Faribault. Um, and we're excited about where that's going. Yeah, I guess that's my next question is what's going on with the future? Will we continue to be involved with that? Will you turn it over to some uh, local organizations within Faribault or is that uh, something that's going to be part of your network for a while? Yeah, um, we're essentially open to all outcomes. Um, right now, we're holding it as ours and uh, just along priorities of making sure we're hiring Faribault leadership to both um, run the operations of that and look at what the long-term future is. Most importantly, though, we just have taken an intentional um, back seat, if you will, uh, to the vision and, um, I would say, build of what this has already become. So, you know, we didn't just say, oh, well, we know how to build a food shelf. Here's the design and here's how we're going to do it. Now this is our expertise. We actually, our expertise is in listening and then responding. That's what CAC is best at. And so we gathered a lot of um, Faribault families. Um, we actually held listening sessions in multiple languages, in Somali, Spanish, and English, um, and just kept aligning people's thoughts and concerns with what could be built and eventually sat even community members down with um, an architect and they designed their own space. And so one of the most exciting things that happened at the Faribault ribbon cutting event was that, you know, everybody talked about it as our food shelf. And those were Faribault people talking about their food shelf. And in Northfield, it's Northfield people talking about their food shelf. And at the end of the day, CAC is interested in supporting and administering, but injecting that priority of constantly listening and being flexible to the need today um, and making sure we're not defining it as some type of oversight leadership, but really just guiding a community to be a caring and healthy community. Um, and so we're open to other organizations using the space. They are now. We're open to organizations taking over and running the space um, and programming. And so we just keep partnering and listening at this point. All right. Scott, I want to ask you one final question. and yeah. <laughs> It's not a simple one. Um, you have gone through, uh, you, everybody, we all have gone through the pandemic, and we're still kind of going through that. We've gone through economic downturns and upturns, and now we've got inflation that we're dealing with and, and supply chain issues as well. Operating in the year 2022, uh, a, a community action uh, a center like you, um, boy, it's got to be some tough. What, do, what What are your challenges right now? Yeah, well... It's always like right now is the question mark. The timeline piece is always tough for us. The, I mean, we've grown a lot. I mean, even just budget size, we're probably twice to three times what we were just a handful of years ago. And one of the challenges I think we're most worried about at this point is as we look at future economic forecasts, um, something that's just always on our mind of the risk that when things take a downturn or when inflation is rising like right now, um, Nonprofits like CAC look at this momentum that gets created where 
Um, right now, our families that access support are paying a lot of extra money for a lot less food. Um, and that means we're seeing an uptick in need. And so we have more families needing more support from CAC at the same time. Uh, our costs are rising because we have to source the same food. And so we're sourcing um, less food for more money. And as people have less discretionary funds, we're funded by people providing donations. And so there's almost less discretionary money being given to CAC. And so while I don't, I'm not concerned about that today, I am really growing concerned about that tomorrow and in the weeks, months, and years to come. Um, how those things get in line and push nonprofits in the wrong direction um, can be really scary. And so we're looking both both at how has CAC responded in the past, um, what supports are out there, but it's always just making sure people are clear that um, these downturns or these challenges or inflation has an impact on everyone, um, but a more severe impact on especially our lower income families in our communities. And it doesn't just impact food, it impacts housing. If you have less money for food, you have less money for rent. Um, and it just kind of that broad impact and how CAC at this point holds supports and the main support for all of those needs um, is a concern in the future. And so we're making sure that as we look to the future needs, how do we listen today to respond tomorrow? Um, and so we just keep listening. But that's the biggest challenge right now I'm worried about in the coming months. And years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the economic challenge, of course, is always going to be there. Uh, what about, uh, you know, the human challenge as far as uh, uh, I know so many businesses that are looking to hire people. They just can't seem to find enough uh, people to fill the positions that they have. Have you felt that either with uh, paid positions or with volunteers? Is the human resources uh, uh, at the level you'd like to see it? Yeah, it's a unique challenge. Um, it's one of the places I really resonate with the challenges our business leaders face. Um, even as a staff at CAC, we, we've had a lot of turnover. We've struggled to fill positions. Um, and it's a lot of people, some, some of those challenges are just, we, we did a lot in 2020 and 2021 and some people were really tired and needed, needed a new, um, chapter of life. And so then we've had some also real excitement about bringing people on. And so we think we're kind of past the hurdle internally at CAC, but at the same time, um, we're part of this ecosystem in Northfield. And so we're really, and now we're a part of that ecosystem in Faribault. And so as we've heard from business leaders, um, the challenges they're having, we're constantly looking at how can we help, how can we support. And sometimes, ironically, that's through um, some of our core services from even from food to housing to even mental health and substance abuse work. Um, stabilizing um, and helping stabilize families helps stabilize families in their jobs, um, which helps local employers as well. And so uh, again, it's kind of just this mission-centered side of a healthy community is a stable community, and it does help everybody when um, we have families that feel supported. They can they have a more consistent life. They have a more consistent presence in their work, and they stay employed. And so we just see this alignment again um, on the positive side of that momentum, opposite of the economic side. Things that align and work together work really well together for families. Mm-hmm. Scott, we're out of time, but thank you so much for coming in and uh, uh, sharing the information. It's been good stuff. We appreciate that. We wish you the best of luck with all those projects that you have going on, and uh, keep in touch. We'll talk to you again soon. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Scott Wapato, who is the Executive Director of Northfield's Community Action Center. Got Rich back in with a look at local news headlines. That's coming up next. Minnesota News Network. Good morning, I'm Brent Palm. More than 667,000 frontline workers in Minnesota can begin applying for COVID bonuses Wednesday. Department of Employment and Economic Development Commissioner Steve Grove is urging them to visit frontlinepay.mn.gov first. If you qualify, you will get a check. And we hope it's a big one and one that 
it at least is symbolic in some ways of the hard work those mine workers did during the pandemic. After the application window closes in 45 days, the $500 million will be evenly divided. If all the qualified workers apply for the bonus, each would receive a check for $750. Well, state officials say around June 20th, they'll start accepting applications for $8 million in grants to livestock and crop growers financially hurt from last year's severe drought. Minnesota Ag Commissioner Tom Peterson. We really encourage farmers right now to use this time uh, in the next week or two to get their receipts in order for things that, you know, were drought related. Um, and uh, we hope to get that money out then as quick as possible. The bill also includes $2.5 million for loans uh, prioritized for those affected by the drought. And there's $4.5 million for additional response to the bird flu outbreak and threats from African swine fever. A man is hospitalized after being thrown from a boat Sunday on Lake Vermilion. The St. Louis County Sheriff's Office says a man had been driving the boat with his adult son. When his hat flew off, he reached to catch it, bumped the motor, causing the boat to turn suddenly. As the man fell toward the water, his hand became caught on a cleat, resulting in a severe injury. The son pulled him back into the boat. The man was then airlifted to a Duluth hospital for treatment. A man from Red Lake will spend nearly 20 years in federal prison for sex.